Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We can talk to our next guest to get the insight on what's going on down in the bubble in Disney. The NBA restart. He's as good as there is in the business at uh, putting forth information and opinion on the NBA. Uh, from Bleacher Report, our buddy Howard Beck joins us. How you doing, Howard? Hey, Jody Mac, doing well. How are you? Good. Staying safe. How are things? Uh, you're a Brooklyn boy. How are things in Brooklyn these days? Things in Brooklyn are uh, all right. You know, dealing with the sweltering heat in the Northeast like everybody else, but uh, better, happier to be here, uh, not in any sort of uh, bubbles other than my own self-imposed. So, <laughs> Was there any talk between you, your bosses, the many entities for which you work, about your doing time in the bubble, or was that not really a consideration since uh, actual entrance is as difficult and expensive as it is? Well, it's difficult, it's expensive, and it's of questionable value, and that's not to question a, a lot of my friends who, from various outlets who, who are there and who, you know, I, I salute their dedication to decide to, 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 to do it um, because it's, it's not pleasant, and... Um, but for me, it was pretty, it was pretty basic. You know, if you're going to commit to potentially three months, um, away from family and sequestered and going through the seven day of quarantine where you're stuck in a hotel room, um, the moderate risk or at least some risks of, of traveling in the first place. So, you know, yes, once you're in the bubble, maybe it's low risk, but you got to get there first. Um, combined with, with just a lot of other considerations, it, it, it needs to be outweighed by, the payoff, right? You, there needs to be a, a value to being there. And the way the NBA has it set up, and this is totally justified on their part, not questioning it, not complaining, but basically there is um, not much opportunity, if any, for one-on-one interactions between reporters and the people that we cover, players, coaches, GMs, other execs, um, the, to keep this safe. The NBA has essentially mandated that the only interactions are in press conferences and some supervised other times. Um, and so there's really very little value to being there. The reason I go to playoff games in a normal season is so that I can not be in press conferences. Those are, you know, everybody gets the same information there. You know, it's value of, of being able to be there to ask the questions, but, um, you know, there's, you're, you're sharing that time with a lot of other people. The value is after a practice, after a game, after a shoot-around, just kind of – peeling off with somebody, chit-chat on the side. Maybe it's on the record, maybe it's off. You're getting that extra insight, the, the things that, that end up in our stories that make them interesting and, and unique. 
yep. um, will be almost impossible to get even for people in the bubble. So for me, it was easy to say that's not worth going. Understand. So you and I are both up here in the Northeast watching diligently on TV and you're doing your Zoom conferences that you have to do. Uh, no one would argue that you are more worldly than uh, you're truly. Uh, so I'm going to see if you can share some insights with me that I just don't have. It's just you and I talking here. Uh, can you tell me anything about the Magic City Strip Club in Atlanta? <laughs> Uh, no, I'd never heard of it until, uh, <laughs> un- until, until the Lou Williams story surfaced. I had never heard of it. That's, uh, not, uh, not, not on my list of destinations when yeah, I'm traveling. Okay. Just checking. I thought maybe I know you go into Atlanta from time to time. I don't know it either. Uh, but supposedly everywhere I've seen on social media and you take that for what it's worth, uh, supposedly they do have real good food in there. And that's why Lou Williams was stopping in because, He's been known to frequent it before, and he just loves their food. Did he really go there? Is that the story that he tried to float by the powers that be in the NBA to somehow quasi-justify going into a public a gentleman's club when you're out on uh, supposedly a uh, an excused absence because you're going to a uh, funeral or a wake or something like that? Did Lou really play that card? Listen, um, everybody is an individual, and they have their own ways of dealing with things and their own decisions that they're going to make. And if Lou Williams left the bubble to attend a, a funeral, a wake, and he certainly, that is the, the, the primary story, right? That's what he, he, he left. He, he posted something on social media about the gentleman who had passed away. If he's already out and he also goes somewhere else, I, I don't care. Like, it's, it's not wise. It's not great optics. And it's probably not wise with respect to the virus because while you're excused to leave for specific reasons, um, you're now muddying the picture, but you're also potentially exposing yourself. Every, every interaction you have, every place you go, restaurant, gentleman's club, whatever, the 7-Eleven, everywhere you go, every interaction you have, you are potentially exposing yourself further to the virus and then you're going back to the bubble. Um, but that's why the NBA has the rules that they do. If you leave the bubble, you're quarantined when you come back, and the length of that quarantine depends on what your activities were outside the bubble. So the NBA will deal with this as they need to. And I don't, to me, it's completely immaterial whether, what kind of, of, of place he visited. The fact that he did anything else potentially exposing himself to, to more people, more, you know, any indoor environment where, the, where you could catch the virus, that's the issue. I don't care what the, the institution was. And he got the full 10 games of quarantine, which will dip over into the restart of the NBA season. He's going to miss a couple of games, which will only be $150,000 since he's making $8 million this year. I spent a lot at the strip club. Probably not the first time for uh, Sweet Lou that that's the case. But uh, the Clippers are a team that can coast through these eight return games and uh, try and just throw the switch when the postseason actually starts. But they've had a bunch of defections. They've had a bunch of injuries. They've had guys opt out. This is not the same Clipper team that we saw for the first three quarters of the season that's going to try and get this championship run in. Or are they? Because they've got their superstars. I mean, I'll, I'll say I would have the same answer for them as for everybody else. It just remains to be seen. But we really, we just, we don't know. Um, 
some teams have more challenges than others in terms of injuries or guys who didn't come to the bubble or had to leave the bubble, whatever. That's all true. But we're still weeks away from the playoffs starting. Everything up until then is really just an extended tune-up. And, you know, where the Clippers finish in the standings, I mean, it matters for matchup purposes. It doesn't really matter for home court anymore because there is no home court. And I think they're probably pretty safely second in the West. If they slips to third, they still wouldn't see the Lakers until the conference finals. So, you know, I don't, I don't think it really matters much right now. I mean, where they are in a few weeks is what matters. And I think the challenge for the Clippers is not just getting the Williams back, getting Montrezl Harrell back. Obviously, you know, two of the top candidates for sixth man of the year. And those two, as, as part of their depth, are part of the reason why the Clippers are so strong. They've got better depth than, I think, any of the other contenders. Better than the Lakers, better than the Bucks, better than anybody else you might want to throw into that conversation. But I think it's also the fact that, you know, Reggie Jackson was a late pickup before the shutdown happened, and they got to try to integrate him and figure out his best role. Uh, Marcus Morris was a late addition, you know, in the season, not long before the shutdown. They got to integrate him as well. And so you're trying to establish your rotation. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard didn't really play that much together because of injuries and because of load management. So you want them to get as much time together. So, I, you know, look, the Clippers have a lot of talent, and they're definitely among the contenders. But these next few weeks are important just to kind of establish, uh, you know, a, a rotation and an identity and, and, and a rhythm with each other. Have you been able to find out anything through your sources, your cohorts, and the like, on just the basketball front? A lot you can't not talk about the situation being in a bubble, no home court, all those things. It's the facts of life and the reality in the NBA right now. But then there is just getting back to basketball, and you kind of gave us a basketball full answer on the Clippers. Is there any team surprising down there? Does anyone look specifically good as a unit who, hey, if they get their eight-game roll on, they get to the postseason maybe, or because of reasons beyond their control, within their control, whatever, this team just looks like a mess, and eight games might not be enough for them to be able to get back to where they once were at some point during the season. Yeah, I I don't think you can draw any of those conclusions based on you know a handful of scrimmages in which – Teams are not going all out and players aren't playing their, their full uh, complement of minutes or their regular roles and guys aren't playing second half. I mean, everything that's going on right now are like glorified exhibition games. And even the seeding games, you know, the, the eight regular season games that they're going to play that will count in the standings, even those are kind of glorified exhibitions in a way. And so I don't I, – I, there's, there's nothing we can glean from what's happened so far. I don't think there's any team you can point to and say, yeah, they're – they, they look like they're ready to, to, to just squash everybody, and we, you know, a team that we didn't expect anyway, um, or, or the inverse, or inverse of that. So when you and I uh, have to make our pre-postseason predictions when the play-in round finishes and we're getting ready with the 16 that are going into the real postseason, you would base your assumptions, your predictions, your reactions – to much more so the first 60 games they played before COVID than what they do between now, the return, the scrimmages, and the eight closing games? No, I wouldn't go that far. I, I think that it's safe to say that who these teams are today is probably not dramatically different from who they were on March 11th when the season was suspended. Okay. The ta- you know, some, some people have, some teams have lost some guys. Um, but, Everybody's been off this amount of time. Everybody's got to reestablish chemistry. Everybody is presumably healthy except for the guys that they lost along the way because they had surgeries like LaMarcus Aldridge or Bojan Bogdanovic. 
Um, and these eight games, you know, they, they might matter to the extent of trying to get guys back any rhythm with each other, having not played together forever. Um, it might matter to see who maybe isn't in great shape. I mean, we will probably learn some things in those eight games that are upcoming, but the identity of these teams, their relative strengths, you know, relative to each other, I don't think should be dramatically different than where the standings were when the season stopped. I mean, you know, the, 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 the teams with the great elite talent are still the teams with the elite talent, and the teams that look like, well, they'll be good for a round or two are, are still those teams. Howard Beck from Bleacher Report, our guest, talking NBA with us here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, uh, I know some people care about this a lot. Some people don't care about it at all. It's funny because I care about it more after the fact, like several years down the line or 20 years down the line, guys are retired, award winners, uh, guys who either lead the league in scoring or win MVPs or defensive player of the year. Um, they, to me, actually weigh heavier when you're discussing how good a player was in his career when he's done playing. So it has an importance, but it's not going to determine who's going to win the NBA championship by who's MVP or defensive player of the year. Can that change during this short sprint that we got going to the postseason with just the eight games, or in your mind, have all those award winners already been established? Well, the NBA made the decision for us. The NBA sent out ballots last week with the uh, directive that they are due on Tuesday, meaning two days from now. So the NBA has decided that the seeding games will not count for the awards, which I think okay. is, a, is a, a tremendous mistake on their part, just a, a, a terrible miscalculation. And it, it basically, like, I'll tell you why they did it, but, but the reason I think it's a, it's a mistake is this. The eight games are going to count in the standings. Now, they may not – listen, these games are not going to be great basketball, Jody. Like, the, the, there's teams involved that have almost no shot, and they're going to pull the plug after a couple of games so that you don't hurt Devin Booker and you don't hurt – you know, um, whoever, De'Aaron Fox, like the teams that, are, that have almost no shot at the playoffs, I don't think they're going all out for eight games. So right. these games are not going to be great. However, they do count in the standings, just like games in late March and early April often aren't great and plugs have been pulled and guys have been shelved to, to protect them, but the games still count in the standings. So if these games count in the standings, and they will, and the stats count for these guys' careers, and they will, and it, you can still change – you know, who wins, you know, uh, whatever, rebounding title, assist title, whatever, like some of those things might still be in flux, and yet none of it counts for the awards? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I'll, I'll give you a, a concrete example. Chris Paul was among the guys I considered for a spot on the MVP ballot, maybe in the fifth slot, because of what he's done for the Thunder. The Thunder right now I think are still sixth in the West, but have a chance to move up to top four, maybe, maybe even top three. And if they did that, I think that would bolster his case for being on the MVP ballot, at, maybe at the fifth slot. Um, but as of now, he can't make that. He, we have to base it on where they are right now, and I don't know where they're going to get to. And the standings matter when we, when we judge MVP and coach of the year Absolutely. and All-NBA. And, and those standings are going to potentially change. So the NBA, I, I, I strongly disagree with the decision, but they did it because they also know that these games may not be representative of what we're normally used to seeing. So they're acknowledging ahead of time. Tune in. We want big ratings, but just don't look too close. Don't pay too in close fairness, attention. Yeah, and, it, and in fairness, there's another component. They also d- thought it might be unfair to the eight teams that are not in the bubble and playing. But uh-huh. my response to that is, 
you know, tough bleep. You know, I, I think if you're not good enough to make the bubble, you probably don't have anybody on your team that's worth any of these awards anyway, except for maybe the all-rookie teams, and the all-rookie teams are silly. So There's a perfect segue. Thank you very much to my uh, next question. Uh, now, yourself and Woj and Shams, you're all very good at what you do and finding out information that sometimes the NBA wants you to find out, and sometimes they don't want you to find out. It leaked out two weeks ago that they were at least looking into the possibility of a non-Disney bubble in Chicago for the eight teams that they didn't invite down to Florida for this finish-off-the-season get-together. When I heard it, I laughed out loud. Then I stopped and thought about it and said, what does it really accomplish? And uh, I get it that the teams would still like to get some of their young players a little bit more experience, and they should be allowed to practice or something along those lines. I gave it way too much thought than it actually probably deserved. And now we've heard nothing for two weeks. I'm assuming it's dead in the water. Is that what your sources are telling you? How did this even leak out? What was the purpose of it? Well, I mean, it's a serious consideration, and it's an obvious rationale. These teams haven't played since March, and because they're not in the bubble, they could be at an added disadvantage of not having any opportunity to practice fully and play even exhibition games until whenever the next season starts. And, you know, at best, training camps would reopen for next season in, like, late November – that's a long time for those other eight teams to have no organized basketball for their players um, to say nothing of young guys who need the, the reps and rookies that they'll be drafting and whatever else. Like there's just, it's, it's putting those teams at an added disadvantage. So of course they want to do something else and creating a second bubble with all eight teams is safer than, than giving the green light to any two teams or a handful of teams to try to like, do home and homes or something else. So there's a rationale to it. It, it makes some sense. I, I, I tend to think, on the other hand, I don't know if anything makes any sense, even this bubble, at a time when the pandemic is possibly at its worst point since this whole thing began, and you're using up, obviously, a lot of resources, including a lot of tests, just to make this thing go. So, you know, um, as a policy matter, I would have mixed feelings about it. But as a basketball matter, it's totally justified that those other teams want to do it. All right, last thing, and again, it's the outside-the-bubble situation. Uh, no, it's not official, all but official, that uh, Tom Thibodeau is going to be the next coach of the Knicks. We know what his track record is as an assistant coach, as a head coach in a couple of spots. There are highlights, there are upsides, but there are also downsides. How does Tom Thibodeau fit with the Knicks as an organization and specifically the group of players he's got coming back that he's going to have to coach? Well, Tibbs is known as, as a defensive maestro, and that is a, a reputation he very much earned during his time in Boston when he was the assistant to Doc Rivers, and they won a championship with a d- defense designed by Tom Thibodeau. Um, that got him, obviously, the Chicago job and then subsequently Minnesota. But Minnesota, in the, in the two-plus years he was there, was a bottom-third defensive team. I've always said that the teams with the best defenses are the teams with the best defenders, not with the best defensive coaches. There's, a, there's only so much scheming you can do. And it's great to have a nice concept. It's great to, to stress defense and all that. And it makes a difference, but it, it's not the whole thing. Great defensive teams have great defensive players. And Tibbs had great defensive players 
especially in Boston with Garnett as the linchpin and in Chicago with Joe Kim Noah as the linchpin and, and guys like Dang and, and Butler, he didn't have it in Minnesota, so they weren't good. He doesn't have it in New York, at least not at, with the roster that he's inheriting right now. And they were terrible defensively. They will still be terrible defensively until they get different players. Like, that's, that's, there is no magic wand. There is no, no one is, is, is such a defensive wizard as a coach in this league that they can turn a, a crappy defensive team into a great one overnight. You need better defensive players. Um, so I, I don't think that he's going to make an immediate impact in that regard. Uh, the Knicks have one of the worst rosters in the league. They have a ton of work to do on the personnel side. And the bottom line to me is I don't know that it really matters who the coach is in, on, in you know, July of 2020 or in December of 2020. It's going to matter who the coach is maybe in 2022 or 2023 after they have rebuilt this roster. But this is a rebuild. Let's not be you know, you know, vague about that. This is a rebuild. And I think it made more sense to hire a young coach who's an up-and-comer or maybe somebody like Kenny Atkinson who has experience uh, and, and, and a great track record recently of developing young talent and getting the most out of guys who are maybe – borderline players in the league or borderline starters. And the Knicks have a lot of borderline guys. So I, I, I don't understand going for the established coach. Tibbs, I think, is the guy you hire when you're already a strong playoff team that needs a little something, you know, more, ex, more uh, expertise in the defensive side or that veteran voice, and you, he puts you over the top. I don't think he's the guy for the rebuild, and I don't know if he's going to have the patience for it. Um, and by hiring him, it's kind of sending a signal to the, to fans that, we expect to win now because we got a coach who's all about winning at a high level. Well, that's the wrong signal. They're not ready to win. Not this coming season and, and probably not for you know, a couple of years. So um, I, I, I'm not sure I understand the choice, even though, yeah, on, on, on the basis of just resumes, he probably had the best resume of the people that they considered. Probably not what Nick fans wanted to hear, but I think you were dead on accurate. All right, since you mentioned defense, last thing is... I know you got two days to figure it out, but who's the defensive player of the year in the NBA this year? It's it's a as per usual. This is a tough one, um, and especially because you know the defensive stats are are, are difficult, right? We still don't have perfect defensive stats, but um, I think it's Giannis, um, and he's also the top of my MVP ballot. So he's 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 my my number one on the MVP ballot, number one defensive player of the year, and it's it's him over Rudy Gobert and uh, Anthony Davis. Um, based on based on the fact that the Bucks had by far the best defense in the NBA, he's the linchpin to that defense. He can guard all five positions and does, and he makes everybody else's job that much easier because of the ground he can cover, because of how rangy he is, how smart he is at the defensive uh, end of the floor. And you know, you can make a case for Davis. You can make a case for Gobert. I just I think I think Giannis has the strongest of the three. I'll make a case for one more because you mentioned Giannis can play one through five on defense. Uh, okay, um, but there are some guards that I don't think Giannis can actually play, some guys that are just too fast for him to play. Ben Simmons can play those guys. Ben Simmons can truly play one through five defense in the NBA. He can cover absolutely anybody, including the biggest centers in the league. 
I'm with you on Giannis on the MVP, but I actually think Ben Simmons is the defensive player of the year. Um, but we could do 20 minutes on Ben Simmons and his overall game and what the Sixers are do trying to make him a four. But he already gave me 20 minutes, so I'm not going to ask you to give me 20 more. Howard Beck, always a pleasure. Thanks for hopping on tonight. I'll call you again soon. Thanks, Jody Mack. Take care. My pleasure. That is Howard Beck. Uh, great NBA analysis whenever we're lucky enough to get him up on the show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.